Welcome to Winds of Change, a Reckless Abandoned Ministries podcast. What you are about to listen to is something we believe has the power to spark change in your life. We pray that God not only blesses you through it, but that He reaches into your heart and stirs things up to bring about change in your life, change that glorifies Him and builds His eternal kingdom. Well, hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to uh, this episode of Winds of Change. I'm here with Pastor Larry Osborne. He's a teaching pastor at the church, um, North Coast Church, right, in Vista, California. And he's written several books, including Accidental Pharisees, Sticky Leaders, Sticky Churches, and Spirituality for the Rest of Us. Um, we are going to be discussing the importance of church for teens and adults and really for everyone today. But first, um, Larry, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've uh, known Jesus since uh, right before my uh, senior year of high school. I was one of those guys, if I go back to a reunion, they're going, I hear you're a pastor. How the heck can that be? Uh, but uh, once that happened, kind of full speed ahead. So I started teaching Bible studies and things in my home. People started coming. It dawned on me one day, oh, I guess I could do this almost as a career for a living, if you will. That was not really my intent. Uh, but God seemed to be calling me into that. So uh, though I do a lot of stuff on leadership and uh, all that kind of stuff, actually, I've been in kind of a Bible teaching type of ministry since I, I think it was 19 years old. So just kind of kept at it a long time, been pastor here at North Coast now forever, and uh, came, I didn't start it, it was about a year and a half old, so it's just been a fun journey to see a small little group of people uh, continue to grow and impact a community. That's awesome. And so kind of our, our driving question, I guess, of this entire podcast is why church? Like, what does it hold for your average teen or young adult? Well, I think part of it is sometimes we, we start with the wrong question. You know, the, you, the way you frame a question uh, will impact the answer. So if I ask a married guy, have you stopped beating your wife yet? I mean, where's he going to go with that? No. <laughs> or yes, I stopped uh, either way. So I think sometimes we frame the church in, in the sense of like, why should I go? And the question becomes, what's in it for me? Rather than starting with the question of, well, what does God call me to? And we also have a little bit of a problem. We've, we've uh, defined the church through our modern-day definitions. You know, sometimes we use the same words, but there are different dictionaries. So the New Testament use of the church is ecclesia. It means the assembly. And uh, I think probably many of your listeners tend to think of a church as, uh, as an organization that has a piece of property somewhere, is leased in some place, and a group of people meet, and there's a professional pastor and all that. Well, in the New Testament, they had no mobility. Uh, families lived in the same area generation after generation. Everybody knew everybody's business. And when you have no mobility and everybody's living in a more rural type of setting, uh, you're going to have house churches. Not because house churches are better, but because that's the only option. So I think sometimes we, we, we think of churches as that big organizational institutional thing. And that's just one form of church, ecclesia, assembly. And, uh, God has called us all to be in relationship and to be in assembly. Now, whether or not we're in a big one or we're in a small one, that's a whole different question. Yeah, and I, I think unfortunately church has come to mean a lot of different things and a lot of it has become negative and a lot of it has become kind of a departure from how it was, how it was originally meant to be. And because of this, a lot of teens, well, not just because of this, but for a lot of reasons, a lot of teens and young adults feel disconnected from church. 
Is this a problem, would you say, with the teens or young adults or with the way that the modern church is going? I think it's a little of both. Uh, what we sometimes forget, we can be like a fish in water. Yes, a fish has a water. He goes, what, what water? Because it's all he's, he's ever known. And uh, I think to be a, a teen today is to feel like, well, I'm the only one who's gone through this type of experience. <laughs> but uh, um, my dad is 90 plus years old, and or 90 years old, rather. And uh, he would say it was the same thing for him when he was a teenager. And I would say it was completely the same thing for me. That's why many of us went off and planted our own churches, because we didn't really like our dad or our grandpa's church. And it wasn't that we didn't like their church. We didn't like their style uh, of ambiance, music, dress code, etc. And again, that's where I think we confuse the whole thing. Um, everybody has personal taste when it comes to that. And there's a communication style that's going to relate to somebody. There's a there's a heart music style that's going to relate to somebody. And the Apostle Paul says he became all things to all people, that he might just reach some. And I think it's a problem with the church when it says, uh, we're not going to change for you, you have to change for us. But the flip side, it's a problem for the, the teen that goes, well, it's all about me, and how did I feel today? Instead of, well, it's what can I contribute to the body of Christ? So it really goes both sides. And it's nothing new at all. It's been there really probably for a couple, at least a hundred plus years. Uh, it wasn't so true when generations weren't changing as much uh, because of a slower media and less mobility. But those two things, uh, which are relatively new in human history, have uh, greatly speeded up the process of cultural change. And how would you say we kind of reorient our focus from being on ourselves, what is in it for me, to being how can I come and serve? Well, again, I, I, I'm not one of these guys who looks at uh, uh, somebody, whether it be a teen or a baby boomer, and say, come on, you ought to be 100% altruistic. It ought to be all about you give, 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 and get nothing back. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we all have to look in the mirror and say, am I looking for entertainment? Am I looking for something that makes me feel good? Or am I looking for a place I can contribute? Uh, but it really starts with the relationships. Too often our churches, once they get over a couple of hundred, which historically is a huge church. When you had no mobility, a church of two, three hundred was massive. So now we consider that small. But when you get over two or three hundred, what happens to churches is they become much more about the performance. Did I like the music? Did I like the sermon? I don't even know who the pastor is. And, and, and so at that point, I would always tell a teen or anybody of any age, uh, church isn't about the program, it's about the relationships. So... Form your own if you can't find a group of Christians. Don't be critical of others. I have no problem with a house church that's formed by a group of like-minded people. I have a huge problem when they're very critical of, of other ministries that they don't like, as if God likes them best. So I go, hey, take that step. Yeah. Uh, find other believers, because iron is supposed to sharpen iron, and you can't sharpen yourself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so... A lot of a lot of teens now, again, kind of playing on this what's in it for me thing. They go to church and they're like, well, what if there's no programs for my age group or my specific demographic? Especially, I find this is a big thing with college students or those just graduating college. And they're kind of feeling like, I'm still a young adult, but I'm not sure because there's nothing specifically for me. What would you say to them? Yeah, well, I, I would say I understand your pain. I'm a former youth pastor and college pastor. We've worked really hard at North Coast. So that's not been true of our experience here, but I know it's true of a vast majority of churches. 
that kind of once you graduate from high school, there's nothing for you until you get married and have kids, and then you come back to help in the kids program with your own kids. And it's a, it's a perpetual cycle that we've created. Uh, what I would say to somebody in that in-between zone, again, is find your own fellowship. That was my own experience uh, when I was teaching these Bible studies. I, I frankly hated the church I went to. It stood against uh, pretty much everything my culture <laughs> was a part of. It had a dress code that was uh, 20, 30 years ago. It had music that was beyond that ago. Um, and it, it preached more politics than Jesus, and they weren't my politics. It was just a really bad deal. Uh, so I found some other Christians, and uh, we studied the Bible together. And uh, again, the more I studied the Bible, the more I learned I wasn't supposed to become arrogant and judgmental of others. I was supposed to use the Bible as a mirror to figure out, am I living as he wants me to? So kind of within a church that wasn't meeting my own needs, I just found a bunch of buddies, and uh, we were iron sharpening iron. We were a little house church, if you will. Yeah, and I know that a lot of people have experienced that and they've been like, okay, you know, I'm not I'm not totally loving church, but I found this group of believers outside of church, whether it's a college group or whatever else. Um, but then if you don't have to be if you don't have to go to church to be a Christian and you're you've already got that connection outside of church, why why go to church? Well again, I, I think Christian that's where we have the different definitions everybody uses because uh, I would say when you're gathering with a group of people people on a committed basis regularly uh, that you are going to ecclesia assembly and so you know like we're a massive church we're one of the 50 largest churches in the country and uh, or maybe even larger than that and uh, at the end of the day I don't think people have to go to a church like ours you know uh, that's that's where I'm not critical of those people who say oh I hate the crowds or it doesn't do my thing I just go where are you in relationship iron sharpening iron uh, uh, where are you uh, really experiencing the body of Christ, able to live out the one another's that the Bible talks about? And candidly, they don't happen in a big church anyway. Our church happens to be built around small groups. Over 90% of our adult attendance numbers are in one every week. And uh, that's really where the church happens. The other is a, is, I don't know, it's, it's like a large gathering. It's like when the Apostle Paul came somewhere and there's kind of a revival in Ephesus and thousands are there for a little while, but that didn't go on for decades or it just it was a period of time and then it became house churches. Yeah. So I, um, you need to go to church, but that doesn't necessarily mean some big place with a steeple. That makes sense. And we're finding as we go along in all these different podcasts, no matter what the topic is, it's all about a lot of misdefining things, you know, not fully understanding what each word means. And so with, as with church, we do take it to mean, okay, Sunday morning in a suit in a church with a steeple. Um, yeah. And I'm here to tell you, I wouldn't go there. Yeah. I preach, you know, if I'm preaching Easter, I'm uh, dressed in a, a casual shirt, a pair of jeans and flip flops. You know, that's the kind of church that I I'm looking for and was comfortable for me. Um, but if I couldn't find it, I created it. Yeah. But again, without being negative on another group of people who have another sense of a cultural uh, comfort zone. Yeah. It's really weird. Christians ought to be the most tolerant of all people with a biblical definition that you're, you're, you have the right to be wrong. Our culture has redefined tolerance to mean everybody's right, which is, of course, absurd. Uh, and then because, you know, two opposites can't be both true. But uh, at the end of the day, when we grow in Jesus, what happens is we we know who we are, 
we're comfortable with who we are, and we're not critical with those who are, are, are different in their experience of walking with Jesus. Yeah, and unfortunately the trend is, I have to be right, and therefore right. I'm going to tear you down and make sure that you're, you understand you're wrong, and that's just, yeah. that's not going to build up, you know, anything. Right, and, and part of that is just a, a passageway of life. I know every teen hates to hear it, but someday you'll see it different, but it is true because all of us went through it. I mean, I was part of a generation that tried to, you know, burn down all the political uh, structures of, uh, of the country and never wanted to be the man and all this kind of stuff. And it kind of, things happened. I had to get a job. I got married. I had some kids. We had to put food on the table. And I realized, oh, my dad wasn't quite, dad's generation wasn't quite as stupid as I thought. Yet there were still some things right <laughs> to this day go, yeah, that was dumb. Yeah. And I mean... Yeah, there's a lot of people then who are like, okay, you know, okay, church doesn't have to be a building then, you know, it's just a group of people, iron sharpening iron, but they've had either awful experience with awful experiences within a church or with other Christians, and then they basically just refuse to attend. And I've come into contact recently with several people like this. What what would you kind of say to them? Well, I. I I would ask them, uh, have, uh, are you dating uh, or have you dated in your life? Most of them probably say, well, yes, or I want to, or I am now. And I say, well, ever had a bad experience with a gal or a guy? Well, yeah. Okay. Did that cause you to say, I'm never going to date again? Because if you did, you're going to be one lonely sucker. Uh, at, at the end of the day, that's what an awful experience with the church is. And, and anybody who's all upset because I had a bad experience with the churches or Christians all that tells me is you have no idea what Jesus said the church was going to be like because the church is made up of really screwed up people. Uh, I always tell people, even the Apostle Paul, they'll go, well, I wish we were like the New Testament church. I go, have you ever read the New Testament? Those churches were totally screwed up. That's why Paul had to write all those letters to them. Um, the, the church in Corinth, he couldn't hardly get more messed up than that uh, morally and some other areas. The church in Galatia was full of talk about legalism and all kinds of ridiculous man-made rules. That's where they lived. And I could go on and on. The church is in Revelation. Jesus, you know, is just telling them, you know, I'm gone if you don't clean up your act, Mr. Ephesus Church and Church of Laodicea. If you guys don't turn around, I'm going to just vomit you. So the idea that somehow, well, churches ought to not disappoint me, I go, where the heck? You made that up because that ain't in the Bible. <laughs> From the very, you know, page three in my Bible, everything's screwed up and it just gets worse. So uh, the good news of Jesus is there's an eternal plan and there's forgiveness within it. So that'd be my first thing. I'd, I'd say look into your own life. Uh, you have a bad business deal or a bad job. You never work again. Bad dating experience. You never fall in love again. Uh, why would you turn off on the church just because Christians ended up just like Jesus said they would be, you know? forgiven jerks yeah and unfortunately the the outside opinion is that you know christians we think that we are <laughs> we think that we are better than most people and so when we don't live up to that everyone else is like oh so they really weren't better than other people so what's the point of it you know and you know what i think christian happens a lot of times too is people will give you an excuse like that but that's not the real reason. Every counselor knows that people, it's called the presenting problem. They come in and say, this is our problem. And after a while, you find that's not their problem. That's a presenting problem. There's a whole other issue that's tearing this marriage apart or this person apart. 
And so I usually find that people who go, oh, I got hurt by a Christian or whatever, again, they're looking for an excuse, and that's a nice, convenient one. And, you know, so I can give them the dating illustration I just gave you or whatever all day long. It's not going to change their mind because they've already made up their mind. Now, they're just now in search for something to justify it. I found a very common pattern of life is that our theology often mimics our behavior. It doesn't dictate our behavior. We have our behavior, then we make a theology that fits it. Whether it's our sexual morality, our, our understanding what it means to be honest, uh, I mean, you name it, uh, we read that into the Bible, and I think that's what sometimes uh, is going on there. It's not the real problem. That makes sense. And that's a, that's a good thing to remember, because a lot of our listeners will come into contact with people who throw that up as an excuse, and they won't necessarily know how to handle it. So it is good to recognize it as, you know, this may be an excuse. In fact, it may typically be an excuse that people are using. And so to kind of watch out for that. Yeah. And, and culturally, it wouldn't be very acceptable to say, I, I, I just don't want to go. So they find some reason. Yeah. <laughs> we do that to one another. Hey, you want to come to the party? Oh, I'm busy. Yep. You know, like, what are you doing? Well, I'm setting my alarm clock, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Throwing a fun question here. What are the top three books that have influenced you the most? Oh, man. They, well, probably they go way back. And obviously, we're not, we're not talking about um, the Bible. But uh, probably the biggest influencing books on my life weren't so much spiritual books uh, as they were leadership books. Because uh, very early on, I found myself leading some things that were growing far beyond what I ever expected. And I had no training or experience in them. So uh, there was, there's a, a guy now dead named Peter Drucker, and uh, he was a business management guy who worked with a lot of nonprofits, happened to be a Christian, though he's best known in the marketplace. And he wrote a book, oh, so it was old when I read it, called The Effective Executive. And almost every self-help leadership book, like Put First Things First and all that, they're all found in a nutshell uh, in, in, uh, in his writing. So those were some uh, early things. And then I, I, I go back to just a, a number of business books that people probably even wouldn't remember now. Peter Drucker's name still floats around because he's kind of an icon. But uh, I was never influenced by any thing where it just shifted me. I, I was more like, it was more like things drifted into me. Lots of articles, lots of books, and I never even knew where they were. So I go back to Peter, and after that I go, oh, I don't know if I could name one. That's awesome, though. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting that different books have very much influenced different people and in different ways, and everyone kind of has their own kind of field of, of different books that have influenced them. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of leadership books, too. So I, I think I've actually read that one that you, you mentioned. That's a good read. Um, so one question that I get a lot is, what if I don't have a church that I'm consistently going to, and I've been to all the churches in the area, and I don't like them? You know, I know we've talked about kind of that you don't have to go to a specific church with a steeple, but kind of that thing where they just haven't found anything yet that's worked for them. Well, what it simply says in, in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 is forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. And it's not a command like you get little spiritual, you know, bonus points for going to church. It says, let us consider how to stimulate or agitate, provoke one another to love and good deeds. It's a peer pressure verse. And we often speak of peer pressure negatively, uh, but it isn't negative. It's both positive and negative. And so I would always say to that person, you're a fool if you decide you can live your life for the good, just motivating yourself. 
because you've got no one to reflect reality back to you. You just have your own self-image, which is always a distorted one. Uh, accuracy always comes to reflection of other people who tell us the truth about ourselves. So I would say to that person, I'm sorry you're in a town that is boring or there's no good church around you or whatever. It is still your duty and your job to find other people that you will gather with on a committed regular basis. However old, however many, and obviously it's a truncated, not full experience if they're all the same age or whatever, but hey, that's better than nothing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's our job to find it. And it's pretty hard to say, Jesus, I really like you, but I hate your bride. <laughs> Yo. you, know, I, you are not my friend. If you say, Larry, I really like you, having you over for dinner, but don't bring Nancy. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have a problem. And so I think a lot of people who say, well, I like Jesus, but I don't like gathering with Christians. I go, well, you tell that to him. Yeah. I give him for dinner and say, leave your bride at home. <laughs> yeah, and I, that really puts it in perspective there, using kind of that as an example. Not something I, I had thought about before. I'm sure it's not something many of our listeners have kind of thought about before. And kind of as a, I don't know, a concluding question if you could address, say, the young people in your church or in churches across America um, and across the world and kind of give them a charge as pertains to going to church, as pertains to connecting with other believers, what would that be? Well, I would say in, in every part of your life, I'd give a broader charge, which is we're all called to be prophets to our own generation. So uh, at, at the end of the day, uh, you're not called to fit into the mold of your dad. Uh, you're not called to fit in the mold of, of centuries. You're also not called to write it all off. But at the end of the day, you are called to represent Jesus to your peers, probably people 10, 15 years older and 10 to 20 years, 30 years younger. And, and that, that's your role in life. Uh, and so I would say embrace it. Uh, but but don't, uh, don't criticize others' roles in life. Uh, we, there's a thing called the body of Christ. And we teach it and preach it, but sometimes we don't believe it. And uh, every ear wants every eye to hear better. And so what I would tell people is look in the mirror, figure out who God made you to be, and embrace it and go after it with everything you have, uh, not criticizing those eyes that can't hear. Uh, just be the ears for the body of Christ or the mouthpiece or the hand or whatever it is you're called to be and, uh, and do it well. And then take a nap. <laughs> there you have it listeners too seriously that's right well thank you i really appreciate you coming on our podcast and talking about the importance of churches um and i think this will be this will be really great good to be with you christian Thanks. thank you and once again everyone here at reckless abandon would like to extend a huge thank you to larry osborne for being willing to do the podcast check back on june 13th for our interview with dawson coyle a contestant on season 12 of the voice Thanks for listening.